0: Oh, the broken one is here. And so is the broken one. And so is <laughs> Mike Diamond here as well. So uh, I'm David Broken. This is Michael Unbroken. Is Michael Diamond <laughs> oh, here for Joseph Positivity on third. Oh, no Wednesday's edition, Wacky Wednesday, the more good news Wednesday edition of Office Hours. And uh Oh, man, have I had an extraordinary two weeks and every time I get to a new plateau, I think to myself, how can I get more productive? How can I get more accessible and how can I get more gracious? And within the context of that push of understanding how time is relative to the activities that we have, you know, there's always these new ideas of the same ego. And. It comes in you know voluminous nature when we have so much activity and you know those are so I thought we a little uh, ESPN today around the horn and what is the number one need of your ego that's still omnipresent as you both have expanded and grown into this learning zone you still look at yourself going how do I ha- still do this or how do I have this need that interferes with my potential? I'm going to start with Mike Diamond because he's been here longer than i to think. And uh, Mr. D, is there one ego based consciousness that you still surprise yourself that exists for you?
1: Yeah, patience, patience right. in the process. It's always patience. It's, it's not it's not that I don't see it. It's not that I don't do the work. It's not that I'm not consistent, self-discipline but it's patience. It's waiting for things to happen in their time. And it's like, I said to a friend of mine the other day, right? It's like, it's like you, you get a picture of some seeds and you go to the, 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 what do you call it? The uh, garden and you plant the seeds and you know, you've got to water and fertilize the seeds, but it'd be like if you kept digging up the seeds and screaming at the soil every day, like, why aren't you growing quick enough? So it's like, it's like I have to tell myself every day, like, shut up, shut up. Like be patient, like don't rush. And that's the comparison thing because you know this, Dave, and you know this, Michael, like like if we get stuck looking at everyone else's journey sometimes, even though we're doing the great work, like I'm just like, shut up, slow down. Just just keep being of service, keep doing the work, stay out of my ego. So for me, it's always patience. I have to just check myself and slow down and just stay patient.
0: I love it. Mikey, unbroken before we get to David broken. Yeah, uh,
2: that's an incredible question, man. Uh, and I hope you can hear me okay. I'm at Podcast Movement speaking today.
0: Um, yeah, the, where you think you're taking the time to, to move with us while you're moving yeah, in. Of course, always. Um, it is it is this
2: need. It's actually even proven here. It's the need to be seen. Like, it really is. Like, to have been an invisible child, to be an invisible guy in my teens and my 20s. It is the need to be seen, but now being seen in the right way. Not seeing in the way when it was cars and clothes and money and girls and drugs, but being seen because it's in alignment with my mission, my vision, my values, and this this and I'll be honest with you guys, just this, this desperate internal need that I have to be like, ah, I knew I could do this and I told you I would.
0: That's good. I, <laughs> I'm uh, been blessed, as you guys know, speaking with Tom Brady, and it's one of the questions I want to ask him because so many people, you know, wonder is it the chip on his shoulder, you know, to the need, you know, to prove one along that made him such an extraordinary goat or was it something else? For for me, it's still quite simple. And I had it rare it's ugly head today twice, which is very rare. Usually one time we'll do it and I'll feel silly and you both times only spent minutes and moments in it. Uh, But both times it wasn't a mild case, you know. I I got very emotionally set uh, with the need to be offended, you know. And, i it, and I look for the relativity is, you know, the amplification of my emotions. I I spent a you know, like I said, minutes and moments, but it was the amplified emotions of how upset I was. Uh, where normally I'm closer to the center in the Zen, you know. Maybe some people couldn't even realize it. Trust me both my wife and my clients knew I had a need to be offended by the emotional amplification of my response. And I just, you know, it, it set me, I, I expect me always to have uh, needs of the ego, but the amplified emotions was what was so surprising. Like, gosh, dummy, you should really know better than to waste that much energy and <laughs> waste much time but it was a lot of energy. I'm still physically from the second one. I I, I still feel it, you, you know, in You're my system. You know, raising my voice, uh, you know, just with with this offense. And you know, in the end, I, I got my point across. I I didn't need to get it uh, across with that much emotion. Um, I'd rather use my emotion to fire people up in a positive manner. Reluca, oh. Can, can you, I ask you a question, Dave? Sorry, yeah, sorry, Dave. Yeah, hold on one second. Can you get the, the next – I got to get out of here before I know Michael. Uh, I'm broken and, you know, dying and saving lives. So uh, I, I got a hard stop at 4 o'clock. So if we can bring the guest on early, that will help us as well. But go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, if you're rested,
1: because I've always found if I'm not rested, being an addict, I'm very triggered. If you're rested, does that still have the same effect? or is it when? Because you work so much. Is it different if you're like, if you're rested and you like, it, yeah. you can process, does that make it, does it affect you differently?
0: It does. I think the things I know about myself are fear, Hunger is a big one for me. Like I, I will say 90% of the time that I have an amplification of emotional response to a need of the conscious or ego-based conscious is because I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. and, then, and then second, and then second would be, uh tired you know just yeah you know. hungry angry lonely tired it's
1: like exactly but it's like that's what I was wondering because you're so yeah, scared, I'll but tell I'm you like, what oh,
0: I yeah. learned it's a great point you know what I learned from this one that, that set me off is I overextended uh my my um uh, my giving like I I you know I only want to give unconditionally and I was giving to my wife and to my coaching client uh, with conditions right I went overboard on what I've done and I took accountability for the fact that if I didn't go overboard I wouldn't have had the amplified energy or emotional like I can't believe that you would even say that to me considering blah 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 blah, blah, blah. and I realized that that meant that amplification was because I was not giving unconditionally, and I was then offended because I didn't get what I expected from extreme effort. And I gave in both scenarios extreme effort Um, and I should not expect an extreme effort back. Uh, This extreme effort was because and I even told the, the coaching client, he's like, bro. And I screamed at him. I'm not your bro. You don't treat bros this way, and then I realize, yeah, you do. Like I treat my bro way worse. <laughs> <through>. <laughs> I'm the one with the problem. Anyway, uh, let's go bring our guest on. Really so glad good. we got the round of the horn. You know, I love anyone with two M's in their name. All my kids are M and M's, and anytime I see an M and M, Michael and Michael or Matthew May, they have a special place on the show, especially yeah. in my heart. Founder and president of Acuity Accounting. It was really funny because I told you guys I have a hard stop at four o'clock to go see my accountant because we got October 15th rearing its ugly head on uh, or September. 5th, I don't even know what day it is, uh, but we got some accounting event coming up on the 15th of one month, and I got to meet with my accountant. Uh, Matt is the president of Acuity. It's a virtual accounting solution for entrepreneurs like us, uh, but it's backed by expertise of CFOs, not necessarily... Uh, those who don't know anything about business. Welcome, Double M, my MM, Matthew May. Uh, it's nice to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. You know, good accounting uh, is a backbone of my business, and I have always had the appropriate support. Uh, and part of it is the lack of effort and, two, the lack of situational knowledge. One of the things that Acuity brings to the accounting space that a lot of accounting firms don't is the situational knowledge uh you know in having the expertise of knowing the relativity of how the accounting's working and brings a whole nother extended value what are some of those principles of situational knowledge that you know your firm is able to provide that are missing for the firms in the ivy for example
3: well i think it it starts with kind of uh, just an approach that we have and acknowledging where the entrepreneurs are when they come to us Uh, many entrepreneurs are like managing their business by their bank account and you know that's okay to start right so
0: there's this journey this financial journey they're on as long as there's money in the bank account it's okay to start there <laughs> i mean it really that's, can, that's, that's that's one long. of the ways
3: that's the most common time people approach us and they're like they just don't understand the language of business which is kind of like accounting i just like i joke that i translate accounting for entrepreneurs into just english and uh yeah. so we're trying to take them on this journey from like managing from their bank balance uh and then we say we give them some basic education and make them start getting familiar with the regular financial statements Uh, it's kind of like, that's kind of like the first step. And then the, 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 I guess the ultimate goal is to like move to making database decisions to where you see a piece of data and you know what to act on, you know, like the easiest example is like for customer acquisition costs. A lot of entrepreneurs get that like, uh, exactly like if I spend this much, I'll get this many clients. Uh, but all throughout their business, we're looking for those data points they can grab so they can make database decisions versus, Hey, I got money in the bank. So
1: Matt, let's talk about drink while you think. I did a drink. lot of drinking and I never did a lot of thinking when I was drinking. What a great name for a podcast about ca- accounting. I think it's awesome. So let's talk about that because I, when I drank, I didn't think. So I love how you take that approach. It's like, let's talk about your podcast. This sounds awesome. Oh,
3: well, the podcast is great. So uh, I, the way that came about, my business partner and I, we do everything together. And everybody told us video was really important. And we're like, well, how do we test out doing video, test out doing YouTube? And we're like, what's one thing we can do? And we're like, well, we can drink a beer together every Friday. And then we'll just record it and like see what sticks. And so three years later, uh, we've turned it into a podcast for accounting firm owners. And we have different people around the country come on. And it's uh, turned into a fun thing. We turned it to Bi-Weekly so that our marketing team doesn't kill us. But uh, other than that, it's, it's it's a blast. But yeah. 258 beers we've tasted so
0: i'll be the only one eligible to come on because i think i'm the only one that still drinks beer <laughs> oh no we've had we've had it doesn't matter we've had wines we've had alcohols it just doesn't go to a accru- the camera I, I if you want an accounting customer i'll bring jaeger shots and some serious lessons and stories but go ahead on brokers yeah Jaeger yeah, is the
2: cause of many of the problems of my 20s, so I will not be joining you with that. Um, that said, Matthew, dude, I love this concept. One of the things I think about often is the importance of understanding and having financial literacy as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. There are certain things I think kind of like layer across all industries. What are some things that entrepreneurs and business owners just across industry need to be aware of and paying attention to when it comes to accounting?
3: Yeah, so uh, we like to break it down in real simple rules, things you can understand. So number one, separate business and personal. So it's real easy nowadays just to separate. I don't even care if the name of the account's right. Like if you have a bank account over here and a bank account over here, put personal in one and business in the other. Like I don't care if the the business is registered and whatever, just separate it. First of all, do that with banks, do that with credit cards. 90% of problems we can fix there. Um, Just because people then can understand what their business is doing. Um, From there, we keep it really simple. Uh, We start by trying to educate people with simplifying, like only tracking what they need to track. Like an average business, uh, 98% of the businesses probably in the United States only have to file a tax return. Well, there's only like 11 items most people have to track. Still, you see accountants overcomplicating this and making people track hundreds of things in different ways shape them forward. The technology is so great now, we can slice and dice it a hundred ways. Keep it simple at that level, and then only add complexity if it helps the entrepreneur make a business decision. So those are our two core rules. Don't add complexity and help unless it helps the entrepreneur and keep business and personal separate.
0: And what about the communication side? You know, I find one of the difficulties of working with accountants. And you're talking about speaking entrepreneur, is that they don't speak entrepreneur when it comes to the context of time. So, a lot of accountants that I work with are, you know, they can you ask them what time it is, they give you the history of the clock. You know, most entrepreneurs can't put that. Uh, they're not available or don't call you back uh, in a timely fashion. And so, the consultative side, the financial strategy, the speaking entrepreneur that makes your firm, you know, superior in my opinion, are all these tangibles that are mostly intangible when you're working with most accountants who think it's okay just to check in a month before taxes are due with a form for you to fill so they can have their girl type it into QuickBooks.
3: Yeah, totally, two tips for you there. So like when you're picking an accountant, there's two things to look for. Do they have at least 20 clients in your industry? Like 20 is kind of an arbitrary number. Do they have at least 20 clients in your industry? Because that's going to be a ton of help. Second is how do they like to communicate? Like our firm, we like to communicate on Slack. If you don't like Slack, you hate us, right? Uh, If you want to be somebody with a phone, there's a bunch of people that are great at the phone. If you want email, there's a bunch of people great at email. So like primary mode of communication, if you can filter for that, and then industry expertise, top two that make that better.
0: That is great advice. Mike, you had a final question for us? I you? think you're going to
1: jump. No, no, no. I was,
0: I was going to, I thought you were going to jump. Yeah, Do no, you, I, I mean, I, I can't. A, no. I, I, I can't. The reason I didn't jump to this guest is because his answers are so effing good. I, I'm about <laughs> to go to my I'm taking notes. So <laughs> if someone has another question, give them more, give me some more info. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say,
1: Maki, okay.
2: yeah yeah i i love that the thing that you said about the, the the accountants being in your industry like that never even would have registered to me and now immediately i'm like who's the coaching accountant right now what what i'm curious about is so we have those layers we understand this dynamic of time and communication but one of the things that that i've always got stuck with when finding the right accountant is in that place where it's like once they understand the business, are
3: they really doing what's in my best interest? And how do you know whether or not that's true? Yeah. So here's the biggest problem in our industry that we face as an industry, my company included. Accountants are great at doing what you ask them to do. And just think about that. Like That means that a lot of us aren't really great at predicting what you really need. So my recommendation to people is always to be like like to have to own that on the on on your side because it's your money it's your taxes it's you whatever so like we go through like tips for people like what they should ask our people even uh so like my favorite tips for tax people is always around tax credits it's like okay what are other tax just asking people and i even tell people do this between june and july because that's when tax people are like idle you can also do it in in november because all the other times they're kind of busy or on vacation it's unreal so there's only like three months you can ask tax people question i'm not a tax person so i can throw stuff, throw shade so you ask them um, what do other people do at my address because tax credits are geo-based a lot of times what do other people do in my industry right and what do what do other people do with the kind of people i hire because if you think of the way you save money in tax as an entrepreneur Like this is like basic stuff. You just kind of have to, you don't have to be a tax expert, but you have to kind of think like the state governments, right? They're trying to give credits for hiring people. They're trying to hit like creating jobs, right? Hiring people, creating jobs, physical space, tax property base, and um, also kind of some kind of innovation, right? So you'll see R&D credit, you'll see hiring credits, they want you to hire Uh, people off welfare, they want you to hire people from the military, all these things have credits. So asking like those questions to your tax person in one of those months that they're kind of in downtime and planning time, it's like super important to like getting the best answer.
0: I'm so glad I went with the extra question. See, once again, 100% great answer, pragmatic, simple ways to allow ourselves to maximize uh, our efforts as entrepreneurs by utilizing the backbone of accountancy and if you are an entrepreneur i can't think of a better place to be or to go than our friend today the eminem himself matthew may founder and president of acuity accounting acuity.co uh, you may be receiving phone calls after this on my way to the accountant if he can not oh, only only Slack and time.
3: and check our check our uh, check our website too. We only really serve four industries very well. So if you're one of oh. those four industries and you use Slack, then we might be great. If not, check who's good in your
0: things, industry. Like, we got a big we got a big LinkedIn follow. Was it four industries? Real quick. Uh, so SaaS technology.
3: So if you have a SaaS or technology product, if you're in e-commerce, if you have a if you want to use cryptocurrency in your business and do it responsibly. And then we have other professional services, but that's really focused on creatives. So if you're a creative and has a professional service firm, we're pretty good at that.
0: I'll see. I fall into category number four. And so, friend, thank you so much, Matthew May. Everyone out there, it's very clear on what he does and how he does it. And if you fall within those categories, I highly suggest you reaching out to acuity.co. Thanks again, Matthew. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for having me. Let's have a bigger shot together on your show all right <laughs> that was great wasn't it i love i love people i love people that know their business and this guy's been around the block a couple times and he knows his business better than anyone he's a businessman a coach an incredible speaker coach bill is in house coach bill welcome to the show coach bill what's up how are y'all uh, we are amazing my friend and you are what I call the true American. I mean, <laughs> everything about you, <laughs> you have, uh, you know, build a business with you know, almost 150 employees or more uh, in the basics of business all over now the world. You also were volunteering as a football coach, um, you know, just amazing service to our country. Uh, and you too um, has a po- have a podcast that, when I talk about, you know, this normal type of thing, it's an army of normal folks that you represent on your podcast and normality is something uh, that we need to understand and, and get more of. So there's no one better to give us the American dream than coach Bill, welcome to the show.
4: Well, um, gosh, thanks. I, I, um, I may need to fire my publicist and hire you. That was pretty nice. Yeah,
0: I'm expensive, no problem. Uh, But I'll do it for free today. Uh, But Coach Bill, I tell people all the time: as blessed as I've been in my career and undergraduate and graduate uh, degrees that I have, some some very expensive fine institutions. The most that I ever learned was on the football field, Mm -hmm. and I was blessed to play in college. And I people tell me, you know, who taught you that? You know. you know, Master Shaw, you know, Sadhguru, Guru Dev, you know, Deepak, Joe Dispenza. I'm like, no, my coach, man, he he told me to keep on playing. I got too excited when I got beat and too excited when I scored a touchdown. Um, You know, as a football coach, have you been able to apply that mentality to your successful business as a normal folk?
4: Well, you kind of got to understand where I came from, which is my dad left home when I was four years old. He, he actually died this year and I got a phone call. Um, That's pretty much the extent of our relationship. And my mom was married and divorced five times. My fourth father pulled out a 38 caliber pistol after drinking a a handle of Usher Scotch and shot at me down the hallway. So, I mean, that's kind of how I came up. I grew up in apartments and the only People that counterbalance the chaos and trauma that was my childhood were my coaches, and so I fundamentally believe that a coach has never made a tackle and never scored a touchdown, and therefore I think players win games and coaches win players, and the coaches won me out of um, some circumstances that that could have led me down a completely different path in my life, and so. When I left college, I was working on my doctorate and I wanted to teach and coach because I thought that was a a calling. Um, Got married, had four kids in four years. I'm you can see I'm not the most attractive guy in the world and I married a dime and I'm from the south. And so, you know, I just got it, kept her pregnant for four or five years. That way she couldn't get away from me. And, you know, by that time, hell, she ain't going anywhere. So but $17,000 a year wasn't getting it done. And so I got into the private world, but in Tennessee, you can still coach as what's called a non-faculty certified coach if you get all this accreditation. And so for 31 years while growing my business, I continued to coach. Coach was my passion, business was also my passion, but pragmatically something I had to do. And so in 2001, I started my business with $17,000 and started coaching at the school called Manassas, which um, was only a mile from the plant and kind of on a wing and a prayer started the business. But Manassas's previous 10 years record when I got there was four wins and 95 losses and they had 17 kids on the team. That was it. Seven years later, my business is growing, my family's growing and Manassas improved to 75 players and we were 18 and two my last two years. and these goofy guys from LA showed up in straight legged jeans, wearing a scarf. Nobody does that in Memphis. And, um, (laughs) they left, they left Memphis with 550 hours of film. And they made a movie that we thought nobody would see except maybe on channel 262 on Wednesday at two in the morning, one day, and a year and a half later, I'm walking down the red carpet at the Academy Awards with George Clooney and P Diddy and we won an Oscar. So, Pete Carroll has become a friend. Yeah, Pete Carroll's become a friend of mine. And he's like, I still don't know how you win an Academy Award coaching football. And I frankly, I don't either. But it happened. And so that gave me a platform. Um, and I really thought I had my 20 minutes in fame and that was going to be it. But then there were speeches. I wrote that book, more speeches. And the platform is this. We can be a forward thinking evolving society without abandoning the core principles that got us there in the first place. Second of all, um, the cancel culture world is so degenerative to our society because we've got to start having conversations about faith and race and creed and societal belief and politics in a very real way, but just do it in a civil, non-threatening manner. And the same fundamentals of character, commitment, and teamwork, and, and, and all of those basic fundamentals, those core values that should serve you well on the football field, serve you much better after the days of playing football are over. So that's kind of the whole shtick. And I was talking about that, and one day... I was very frustrated with some political thing that happened and I watched Newsmax, Fox, CNN and CNBC report on something that any common thinking man would have said, oh, I know what happened there. But it was like four different stories, like four completely different narratives about the exact same thing that happened. And I was being interviewed and I said, you know. There are neighborhoods all over every urban area in our country where you look down and you see the abject, the despair, the loss, and the hopelessness. And as you it's where you don't want to have a flat tire. And as you pass by, you think, man, somebody ought to do something about that one day. As if that sentiment matters. And it doesn't. And I think we ought to kick that rearview mirror about 15 degrees to left and say, maybe I could do something about that one day. And I truly believe with the way that the the national news treats narratives. Uh, they're never gonna fix anything. The dysfunction in DC is never gonna fix anything. Rather, I think it's gonna take an army of normal folks, just us, people like you and me, seeing a little area of need in your community and filling it. So I said that to this guy in this interview. He called me back six months later and said, I've never forgotten what you said. And I was like, oh, I must have cussed. I didn't, I didn't, you know, and he's, he's like, no, he's like, this is what you said. Do you really believe that? And I said, absolutely. And he said, I want to create a podcast where we go out and find all these normal folks and we explore how normal they are, you know, spouse problems, money problems, normal people problems and explore the amazing things they're doing in society, not because they're part of some NGO or A-lister or, or government tabbed because they're they're not doing these things because they're wonderful people. No, They're doing these things despite the normal people difficulties. And those stories should be interesting and redemptive and entertaining, but more importantly, inspirational. So that as we grow our listenership, we grow this literal army of normal folks listening to stories, seeing a, a blue, many different blueprints of things you can do in your society done by normal people and hopefully inspire a movement. And we've been on air for 10 weeks. We've been as high as number 10 in the US on Apple, which is insane. Um, and it's resonating. And so now I find myself talking to folks like you trying to, to try to have... You know more and more listenership so it can have more and more impact and um so you asked how football has impacted my life there it is great answer
0: mikey d
1: yeah like coach coach bill the being i mean i'm in the addiction space so when you when you brought up the just your childhood how will resonate with a lot of people how did you let go of the resentments did you how did you shift through all that trauma and be able to trust a coach to then allow you to expand and grow and reach your potential because when you come from what you came from it's very hard to take criticism it's you're so traumatized how did you do that because a lot of people You talk about sensitivity now, right? There's a lot of kids that are traumatized and like we talk about different movements it's because they can't take the constructive criticism and they can't forward think. I I went through rugby and and acting like I went through a lot of stuff and I was traumatized, but how did you reframe your perspective? And people need to hear that because what you went through is really extraordinary.
4: Well, oh, you know, Cancel culture, candid conversation. So I'm going to be just completely real. Uh, it's two ways. Um, when look, I lettered in six sports in high school. All right, so um, I was kind of a triathlete. I'd try anything. Um, I uh, you know, and and I wasn't. The
0: that best. In
4: <laughs> I wasn't the best at any of them, but I was good enough to start at all of them. Um, and it was because that was my escape, and the men who gave me that escape were those coaches. So I, I listened and I and I followed those instructions because that was the that was the only place I was happy, you know. And so, um, and and not every coach is great, but there were four or five along the along that path that saw in me um, potential. And also saw in me the potentially destructive behavior as a result of all this trauma. And they loved me, not because I could score touchdowns. They loved me in spite of the stupid stuff I was doing. And they mentored me. And I believe regardless, absent a sociopath, I believe regardless of how difficult your circumstances are, that, you can always feel real people. You can always feel the people who really do love you and really do care and are working with you for your own good rather than their own exaltation. And I was fortunate to have those guys. And the second thing is, candidly, I've always had faith. And um, when... I felt the most alone, the most traumatized, the most hurt. Even though I didn't have a father in the home, I always felt I had a father that would ultimately be there for me. Um, And I, I say that saying this also. I have Jewish friends. I have agnostic friends. I am not the believe like me or you're doomed to hell Christian. I am the Christian that needs faith and redemption because I am so screwed up that without it, I can't really function. So it's a personal thing with me. And that's just, that's where it comes from for me. Okay, so, but you asked, and that played a big part in it for me. I'll also tell you that I'm 55 years old tomorrow and I have four beautiful, thanks, I have four beautiful kids that are 27, 26, 25 and 24. And um, I was 45 or six or seven years old before I finally came to terms with and properly dealt with and got over the trauma of my childhood. So even though, yes, I was able to handle it with some mentoring, that crap goes on for a long time. Yeah,
2: in. Bill, in. incredible man. like. I uh, I coach trauma survivors. I build a company called Think Unbroken. We help people who've been through hell and back. Obviously, you've been through hell and back. And the journey is the journey. The time is the time. And that's one of the things I always try to think about. You know, this this process of healing, of loving, of changing the world, it's an internal journey. It's something we're always on. But also, when we bring life into the world, generationally, generationally, we have a decision to make. Who are we going to be how are we going to show up what is it going to be our legacy So i'm asking you a question i've never asked anybody in this show before what is the lessons of life that you have given to your children that have allowed you to continue and them to continue to perpetuate the ending and breaking of the cycle
4: that's easy i love the question but it is something i tell every it's in my book And it's something i tell anybody who'll listen. I told my sons that I am exactly what they are to their future wives. How I treat their mother is how I expect them to treat their future spouses and how their mother responds to me is what they should expect. Conversely, I told my daughters, how I treat your mother is how you should expect to be treated, and how your mother treats me is what the requirement of a proper wife is to the husband. In other words, Lisa and I have a responsibility to illustrate to our children what a healthy relationship looks like by the way we act, love, and respond to one another as both mates and parents and you talk about generational stuff i think in some cases in some of the 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 more impoverished areas and and the more disenfranchised areas in our country unfortunately those illustrations don't exist and when you have generational lack of illustration you are going to have invariably incredibly traumatic situations. And, and I do believe with everything I am, every fix is a multi pronged fix. But I do believe with everything I am, one of the fixes we have to do is is talk about the importance of how mothers and fathers treat one another in front of their children. So their children know what to do and expect. I love it.
0: The George Washington, the general himself of an army of normal folks, an academy Award winner, the last suspected one that you would ever suspect to win one. He is just a normal guy with an extraordinarily large heart and utilizing it in the right trajectory internally with his family and his faith, but also into the community. Let's all join this army. Let's create the change that we want to become with people like our coach today, Coach Bill Courtney. He knows that uh, the players win the game, but the coaches win the players. I've already shared my takeaway of the day. What an incredible guest. We're gonna all have you on more of our shows. Of course, we would be honored to be on your show. I want you to grab the book behind you because we do show these at the airport. If you can grab your book uh, and show it off for a second, Coach, uh, that'd be great. Just so people get an idea. Go out and get yourself against the grain. Uh, by coach bill courtney academy award winner incredible guest. i'm still reeling on their first two guests of all the takeaways of the day uh thank you for everything you do for your family your faith and especially our community i'm one of uh, your soldiers soldiers my friend thanks for joining us
4: david thank you very much normal folks not us is where you can go to the podcast
0: got it check it out top 10 on apple it's uh, well deserved thanks for joining us Amazing. All right. The stage is set and our cleanup hitter is here. JW is in the house. That's John Warren, co founder and co gem mining, gemmining.com. And he has a book uh, that we want to talk about today Lead Like a Marine. I just am always amazed by my team, how they put all these uh, people together that complement one another. It's amazing. Lead Like a Marine, run to the challenge assemble your fire team and win your next battle uh perfect perfect compliment to coach bill welcome jw what's going on
5: not much how are you guys doing
0: oh my gosh we are fantastic and we can't think of a better cleanup hitter uh and you know first of all i always like to say thank you for your service uh as a captain in the marine corps uh i have the freedom the options the opportunities and touches a favor in my life because of people like you and i never will take and miss that. And if I do, uh, the other boys will pick it up. So first of all, thank you for your success. My second question though, is uh, how do you go from being a captain in the Marines to uh, the CEO uh, of an institutional grade Bitcoin mining company?
5: Well, I would say it started out of desperation. So I faced, uh, I faced what a lot of Marines face, a lot of veterans face when they, le- when they leave the service, which is a lot of people appreciate veterans for their service, but they don't really appreciate or understand how their skill sets transfer to the civilian world. So I got all the job interviews I wanted. And at the end of almost all of them, I heard, really appreciate your service, but you don't have the industry experience to work here. So at that point, I had been married for a few months, needed to start providing for my family and uh, just had to create cre- had to create wealth, had to create a job and saw an opportunity in real estate. And, you know, my first company was Lima One Capital and it did lending to real estate investors. And we built that into a multibillion dollar loan originator to real estate investors. We employed over 300 people in Greenville, South Carolina as a finance company and Everyone told us over and over, you can't get to this stage, and we did, and you can't get to this stage, and we did. And I think it's a testament to the people that we hired and that ultimately the core values that we
1: stressed at the company. I didn't, John, that's crazy. Um, so, all right, so a young Marine now sees your experience, and you came in, you're like, wait a second, I served the country, and now my experience doesn't cross over. What do you tell a young Marine to get prepared? How do they run it? I remember when I was in Las Vegas, I had a friend of mine that went to West Point and he was working in, in the club business. I like, what are you doing here, man? He graduated from West Point. He had to go back to law school. Now he's a top attorney. But it was, he was in the same struggle. He's like, dude, I went to West Point and I can't do anything. So what do you tell right now if someone's watching, he's a young Marine or he wants to go to Marines? He wants to do the right thing for his country. Can you run a parallel journey? Can you be studying on the side? How do you prepare yourself for that?
5: Well, I think what you have to do, you have to, I try to do two tracks. I try to talk to the young Marines, but also try to talk to the the CEOs and the HR managers and kind of refocus them. So from a Marine standpoint or a veteran standpoint, I think you got to have a transferable resume. You know, you got to get rid of all these acronyms. Nobody knows the size of a platoon. So you need to say, hey, I led... 40 men and women, as opposed to I was a platoon leader. So a lot of it's jargon and getting them really prepped for the civilian world. But I think more importantly, it's retraining the CEOs and the HR and all the hiring to understand, and it's not just veterans, it's everyone, right? Like right now, society is plagued in my opinion, with this belief that if you don't have a four year degree, you can't, you can't have any purpose in that company. And I think they just miss out so much on a quality workforce because of it. And, they, and then the other mistake they make, they say, hey, if you don't have industry experience, right, like I was in the lending business. Hey, if you haven't been an underwriter before, we don't want you. Well, you know, we built a business around the Marine Corps way, which is hire people based on their core values and train them. And I tell everyone if the Marine Corps operated the way corporations do, which is you got to have combat experience the Marine Corps wouldn't have any people employed in it because no one has combat experience before going into the Marine Corps. So I think it's getting back to your question. I just think it's educating both groups.
2: John, absolutely love
5: that, man. Um, One of the things I think about a
2: lot is, is values. You've mentioned it a couple of times now. And, and I think it's something that is often glazed over or just looked at as something secondary. When in reality, I believe that values are the pillar and the cornerstone to success in life and business, friendships, relationships, really everything that you touch. Where does somebody begin? I'm going to ask you a two-part question. One, why are values important and how did that translate from the Marine Corps into what you do today? And two, if someone does not have values either personally or in their business, where do they begin?
5: Well, I think the, the first the first question is values are the most important because ultimately in tough situations, and I don't care the industry, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, when you come down to a difficult situation, it all comes back to your core values. And in the Marine Corps, you know, we stressed fighting and dying for honor, courage, and commitment. Like that's what it really came down to. And when we hired at Lima One Capital. You know, we wanted to hire people that really shared our core values. And there's what we have seen make people successful, I think, is integrity and honesty. And that's hard to find in today's world. It's tenacious work ethic. It's grit. It's willing to be a team player. And then the final one is having a little bit of a chip on your shoulder where you got something to prove. And those are the core values that we look for at our company You know, we doubled in size every single year. That's hard to do. Every single year we doubled. And when we went back and did interviews with our employees for writing the book, one of the questions we asked everyone was, hey, what are you most proud of at Lima One Capital? And I thought they were gonna say, we doubled every year. And every single employee said, I'm proud of our core values. I'm proud that the company had integrity. And then I'm proud of the fact that the company, we embraced something called be blunt and direct. And it was just direct communication in a respectful manner with not only internal employees, but all of our clients, our institutional investors. And I think those things just separate you from everyone else out there.
0: John, um, I'm glad to have time for more question here as uh, you know, I deal with a lot of vets, a lot of athletes uh, who are routine oriented, and they also uh, don't understand the applicability, as you said, of their skills, their knowledge, and their desire to all facets, industries, and jobs that are available. And it's difficult to change that mindset. Um, your team was led by two successful combat veterans, uh, which became two successful entrepreneurs. From my sports background, I have a very similar mindset. Uh, In fact, my motto still is to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. The commercials for the military are very similar to what I think is the common denominator of all successful people, be what you must be, right? A desire that you must be what you can be. There's a variant of that in every advertisement from all of our armed forces. Uh, Did you find it difficult in the entrepreneurship to transfer the skills, the knowledge and the desire into the belief that it's still applicable in mortgages or in Bitcoin or wherever, because I find it difficult with athletes and vets to get them to believe what I'm saying, uh, I think it's easier to get the CEOs to see when you, when you explain things to the CEOs, they're like, Oh shit, I'm hiring vets, right? I can't get a kid to show up. This guy you're telling me is going to be there ready to go at 5 a.m. if I ask him. But I think it's harder to convince our vets that you are more qualified than anyone else to be successful.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think in the veteran community, we face a challenge, which is society is pushing on this belief that everyone suffers from PTSD. And I think (laughs) PTSD is definitely it's real and people definitely suffer from it. And I think we got to help those that really, truly suffer from it. But the numbers that they throw out there, I mean, they say, you know, I would say outsiders claim that there is more PTSD cases than the number of people that saw combat. And that's just not possible. So I think what we stressed was post-traumatic growth. Uh, It's something that General Mattis talks about. And I think it just doesn't apply for the military it applies for everyone that has tough times and challenges and shows grit that the vast majority of people are stronger from struggling, not weaker. And I think, you know, we got to stress that with veterans and we got to stress it with a lot of other people as well.
0: Great points. And thank you again for providing all three of us uh, not only emblematic way of utilizing our grit in the trajectory we're going to be here, but also helping other people I know both of my friends over here deal with tons of vets, and I do too, in a variety of different ways. Uh, everyone, let's read that book, You Gotta Lead Like a Marine, Run Towards the Challenge, Assemble Your Fire Team, and Win Your Next Battle, The Mindset, The Heart, and The set of Extraordinary Combat Veterans and Successful Entrepreneurs, A Deadly Combination for Success. Thanks for joining A.W., John Warren. Hey, John. Come FBI. back and visit us. Have a good one. Thank you. Amazing. Whoo, I want to congratulate my team again. For extraordinary what a day. I, I watch some big TV, and I know this is a TV program. It's probably my most successful office hours. It has as big guests as any NBC late night show. You guys have been on it. You understand it. You've been around it. But it wouldn't happen without my team. That somehow not only gets these extraordinary guests, but gets them to compliment one each other. I'm going to give my takeaway first before I got to get to my accountant before I get all the advice that we got from our friend, uh, Matthew May, uh, I just can't get it in my mind, right? Great coach, and you guys are great coaches, right? Great players win the game, but great coaches win the players. And I get choked up thinking, you know, study it, and apply what I learned to it. Uh, but I want to compliment both of you. Because you are great coaches that are winning the players. And the players that you're winning, you're saving their lives. At least all I do is help people make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have fun. But you literally, both of you, are saving lives by winning those players. And and that takeaway is a big one. You'll see it on my threads tomorrow. For sure, I'll be quoted in the next 16 speeches. You'll get sick of it. You'll roll your eyes saying Coach Bill's turning in his – for kids, but anyway, that's my takeaway. Michael D, what is yours?
1: You know, Bill really moved me with what his adversity that he faced. That's really kind of craziness. Like people talk about their problems and issues, but what he went through. But what really resonated with me with all our guests is, you've got to do the re, the work yourself. Mm. You've got to find and and you've got to specifically know what you want. And I loved our first guest. He was like in and out burger in the sense of, we don't care what the competition does. This is what we sell. If you don't like slacker and you don't like this, this is what we sell. And I love that. Like I'm an interventionist and I'm one of the best, and this is what I do. And I'll get you in the treatment. And if I know someone that needs to deal with trauma, I'm gonna go to Mikey Unbroken. And if I know someone that needs like education, advice on literacy, I'm gonna go to Dave Melsa. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think that's, it moved me. I was like, know yourself, know what you want and be specific mm, and just say, this okay. is what I do and own it. And that really, really moved me all guests like that.
0: I love that. That's a good business point for everyone. All right, I'm like, broke.
1: Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. Mikey boy.
2: No, man. Yeah, this, all these conversations felt so apropos. Like it was just like banger, banger, banger. I mean, great job again to the office hours team today. Phenomenal. Um, I, I, my takeaway is the same as yours, David it really is somebody as a coach is just such a powerful reminder that the game that we are playing is helping these people win their own championships every single day and it's like man i I got a text from somebody today and they're like thank you for helping me save my life and i'm like bro you saved your own life i just showed you the path that's all and, and coaches win players. And that is, like, I'm literally going to write that down. It is going to go over my office. It is something I'm going to read every single day as a reminder of, like, why we really do this. Because it is my wrestling coach, shout out Mr. Hollingsworth, who changed my life forever when I was 17 years old.
0: Oh, boy. I agree with both of you. And once again, thank you guys for taking the time. I know guys are saving lives. You got a lot going on and to have you both here and covering for each other when we can't make it has been a blessing, encouraging and increasing my faith that there's something bigger than me that's protecting and promoting me. Thank you for protecting and promoting me. I love you both. It's a dose of positivity every time we're here. On more good news Wednesday, uh, I look forward to seeing you next week, if not sooner. This is a blessing. Thank you both. Love you. you Love you guys. Love you guys. See you soon all right everyone that's about as good as you can get we got a meet up tomorrow at chapman university 4 30 p.m go ahead email me david at dmelzer.com join our text community the text number is right there uh, to get alerted of all the different meetups vip dinners speeches free friday trainings etc 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 we want you to be part of community people that want to help each other and know people who can help each other that's what we're doing here Every single day, man. Big, 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 big shout out to my team, including Raluca and Gigi, who are here covering the globe uh, for us at office hours. But remember, most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Have fun.